The views and opinions we express in this podcast are our own and do not represent the official position of the Youth in Government Program or the YMCA. Welcome to YAG and Recreation. Every week we pick a topic and reflect on various aspects of YAG using that topic as a guide. We hope that you, our listeners, enjoy delighting in the details of YAG along with us. And if you're a current advisor or delegate, that you might get some discussion ideas to take back to your own delegation. This week, we're talking all about bill books. Joining me, as usual, is my brother James. Excited to be here. As always. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I will call our podcast to order. We're talking about bill books today. Um, and that made me think about how much work goes into it for everyone. From the delegates writing the bills to advisors helping refine them. And then, of course, staff and volunteers reading all of them and arranging them into what is finally printed as our bill book. Um, and I think there's a lot of temptation at every step of the process um, for people to kind of wish they had more time or really push the deadlines because they want what they produce to be perfect. And that made me kind of think about uh, what I, I think of as a common saying, but I didn't know where it come from, but don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm. And I wasn't sure that I was getting the words exactly right. So I thought I would try to figure out and, and I didn't know who'd said it actually at first. So I thought I'd try and figure that out. Um, and it turns out that it was Voltaire, who's credited with saying, the best is the enemy of the good, hmm. which I think people have paraphrased into the saying that I'm more familiar with. Yes. Um, I am not a historian. Um, and so I don't really know much about Voltaire. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, or like wh what he was talking about when he said that. But while I was Googling, I actually I found Voltaire because I stumbled across something else. Um, that was called The Cult of the Imperfect, which was originated from Robert Watson Watt, who worked on radar for the Royal Air Force during World War II. Hmm. So, James, you're not familiar with Robert Watson Watt? His name is not familiar to me. I think it's an awesome name, but I, I don't recognize it. No, yeah. I, I know Voltaire, so I... but not Robert Watson Watt. I also don't know much about Robert Watson Watt and uh, again, not a historian. So mm -hmm. I don't I didn't delve too deeply, but basically he developed radar that was used and um it was imperfect radar it was like it wasn't at a frequency that was going to get everything but mm -hmm. he figured it would be enough to help people rather than spending so much time mm -hmm. perfecting it and having it be exactly right like by then the war would be over mm -hmm. so um but he was quoted in some online articles that seemed pretty legit to me so i'm pretty sure this is something he said has always strived to give the military the third best because the best is impossible, and second best is always too late. Hmm. So I found that to be particularly helpful in thinking about our bill bookmaking process, um, really for everybody. Like, we all certainly should try our best to prepare something that's worthy of printing. Um, but we shouldn't delay or, like, hold on to it for too long in pursuit of perfection. Um, the little errors and mistakes that we make um, when we're writing a bill... I think it gives the delegates the opportunity to collaborate at session and connect with each other and really share their ideas, ultimately creating better and stronger bills that reflect 
their ideas of the time. Um, and from an advisor perspective or a staff perspective, I think that we as adults need to be careful not to hold out for perfection from ourselves because the young people we're working with really do need to see that we, we all miss things sometimes and we all make mistakes and waiting to share things until they're perfect keeps everybody around us waiting and not able to like share the load of the work. Um, so I'm not really, I'm not saying we should just turn in whatever, uh, we've got and just quit because perfection's too hard or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, third best is not shabby. It requires effort. It requires focus. Um, so I think being aware of deadlines and bottom lines and working hard to prepare something that's imperfect but usable is far better than holding out on perfection, missing the mark, and then being disappointed or ashamed of something that you've produced when it's really, it's good. Um, so I just, I want to encourage everybody to shoot for third best, I guess. <laughs> uh- a bronze medal is still a medal. It's still, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's that's a that's a lovely idea. And I agree that my experience with youth and government is that far too often students are reluctant to bring something that's imperfect, especially our new students. Um, when I just want them to bring an idea, bring an idea, we'll discuss it. You know, it doesn't have to oh, I don't think I know how to write it perfectly. No, of course not. Just, just... I don't know how to write it perfectly. Right. <laughs> write down a paragraph. <laughs> write down a sentence, right? We can start yeah. there and we can start to make something better. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a tricky thing. Yeah, well, and I think living in such a digital age now where everything you do, people can see it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like, it adds a level of stress that really just doesn't need to be there because I think so. so much of what we do, like... It's never going to be perfect, even when we've worked super, super, super hard. Oh, of course. It's always going to be a typo somewhere. Absolutely. By the way, I can't speak about Robert Watson Watt, but I will say um, Voltaire wrote a short sort of famous book called Candide. Um, It's kind of an, it's sort of a fun book. It's kind of an allegory. You might enjoy it, truthfully. Oh, okay. And you, you will recognize at least one or two other phrases in it that have more or less come into the English language. Yeah, Voltaire, he was witty. He was good at this sort of thing. So he's not a terrible human being that shouldn't have been quoted in our podcast. No, uh, I mean, <laughs> in terms of the hierarchy of people you've quoted in invocations, he's definitely <laughs> above uh, Woodrow Wilson, I think. Um, yeah. From there, that I That first know. foray into invocating was not not a good show <laughs> for me. Sorry. Not the, no, it's not. I mean... <laughs> Woodrow was president of the United States and he had some things to say, but yes. Well, you know, a few people have been president who I wouldn't say I'd like to quote. Um, That's very fair. We'll just move on to old business, I think. Sounds good. Um, You you have a piece of old business. Just to say that um, uh, we received an email from one of the students and I received some messages from another student um, who were involved in the events of the 2006-2007 questions of privilege that we talked about. Um, on our um, ethics episode. Um, and uh, it was just really wonderful to hear um, from former students. Um, I was writing back this email, um, I think just yesterday, and thinking um, how cool it was to have heard um, what he was up to and uh, and all the places he's gone since youth and government and the things he's done in the world. And so, uh, I don't know, it just made me glad. Um, it made me think a little about the fact that there must be some other alumni who listen to our podcast. And um, I hope you all will take Anna's invitation at the end of the episode seriously to <laughs> send us an email because, gosh, it's fun to hear from you folks. 
we know there's like six of you out there. There must so, be. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we love hearing from past participants. Um, we don't always remember you, but we did remember this one. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Also from the mailbag, our mom, who is an avid listener, um, she'd like to know what um, past participants are up to in their adult lives. Like, what's life like post-youth ledge? Yeah. Um, and we we are also interested in that. So... Um, do reach out if you're a listener and you, um, even if you don't have something you want to tell us to talk about, that's okay. If you just want to tell us about yourself and what you're doing now, we'd love to hear. Although if you would like to be featured, like if that became a, Mm -hmm. a a recurring element of this podcast, if you had a little alumni spotlight to say, Hey, here's Mm -hmm. this person and here's what they've gone on to do. I think that'd be cool. That would be really cool. Yeah. We could make we could replace Anna's dorky fun with um, alumni adventures. We could mix some things up, folks. We yeah. won't. We promise we won't reveal details about you or anything without your permission. Hundred um, percent. But if hundred uh, percent, yeah. But if you if you did give us permission, we'd be glad to share your stories. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll move right along to new business. Indeed. Um, we'll launch like we do uh, with. <laughs> five uninterrupted minutes of james deep diving on this time bill books on bill books here we go um well we will talk later this episode about um how our bill books come into being um my relationship to the bill book um my primary relationship is as an advisor using it with delegates in the delegation and so um, I'm going to focus on that um, for just a few minutes here to think about, okay, well, what happens when you bring that box of bill books into your delegation meeting? Um, obviously, this is a funny year, so what I'm talking about is a sort of usual year. Um, I will say that if you have experienced and new students in the room, um, you you do find that they immediately start to engage with each other. Older students are pointing things out to newer students, and there's a lot of conversation around the bill book. And usually I've had older students bringing bill books to meetings over the course of the year. And so for a newer student, it is pretty exciting that now they have a bill book of their own. So I do find that especially that first meeting where we have the bill books, um, it does sort of, in a lot of ways, this sort of energy moves itself. But from an advising perspective, there are a few things that I really like to sort of impress on students when they have their bill books Um to sort of call their attention. Um, One is that um, by the time they receive their bill books, everybody knows what their job will be in Olympia. Uh, And so really impressing upon them to say, hey, folks, (laughs) this book has everything you should need to know right now. It's going to tell you all sorts of things about what might be happening in, say, your assigned committee, for those of you who are assigned to committees. Um, it should, in the back, in the rules of order, have descriptions of your job responsibilities and the responsibilities of your superior um, student officers, assuming that you are not the lead major officer in your program area. And so steering students towards those things, right, to suggest to them that, hey, if you're assigned to the transportation committee, you should be looking at the transportation committee's bills. That's part of your obligations as a student with a seat in a chamber. Hey, if you're a student who is in the lobbying corps, your one of your duties is to understand how lobbyists get to interact at the legislature. All those rules are written in the rules of order, and you can go and look them up. Um, 
And normally our bill books are handed off to us at leadership training. And so while I'm explaining this, um, most years I've got some students who have attended leadership training and they have an opportunity to supplement what I'm saying by pointing out some things that they maybe heard at training or maybe helped to decide at training, which is kind of fun. Um, and I really think it's important for us as advisors to set up some kind of meaningful engagement with the bill book that you don't just sort of hand it to a student and figure they'll figure it out for themselves, but that you lead folks in some kind of engagement with it. Maybe something as simple as asking students to, you know, find, uh, you know, everybody find a quirky bill and we'll just go around the room sharing it, right? That'll get them actually flipping back and forth and reading these things and, you know, often laughing a little bit at things that are sort of funny to them or getting excited about an idea that's new to them. That's, that's fun. Um, sometimes um, pointing out to students that they should start to mark up their bill book, you know, have a handful of post-it notes you scatter around the room and have everybody, you know, flag their own bill in the bill book, flag the first page of the rules of order so they can find it easily, that sort of thing. I have definitely had students who were hyper committed to annotating and flagging their bill books, and it's a wonderful thing to see. I think if everybody has some sort of basic um, awareness that they need to do that with the bill book, I, I think that's a really helpful thing to do. Um, and I really think it's important to um, help model, um, you were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, advisors modeling things for students. Um, I think here as well, like between the time that I get my bill book and the time that I'm handing them off to my students, it would be great if I could give an example of the kind of research a person needs to do, right? To find a bill that I was excited about because I thought it was an interesting idea and to have done a little bit of research about it. Um, so that I can point out, hey, this is the sort of thing you do, right? You read a bill and you realize, oh, this is really interesting. I didn't know anything at all about gill netting. Um, and, it, you know, let, I need to Google this, right? I need to find out some more things about it, you know? Um, maybe start writing down on my bill book some questions that I have about this bill. Or maybe some points in favor or against because I'm thinking I might want to speak on this bill. Um, doing that, even though as an advisor, obviously, I won't get to do that. I won't be asking a series or speaking or something like that. I think helping students see that that's how you do engage with this so that you can come to Olympia ready to go, uh, I think can be a really powerful thing. So um, those are just a couple of ideas. I'd love to hear ideas from other advisors about what you have delegates do with their bill books. Um, but I think that's, that's how I try to get students working with them. When I had my own delegation, we would... Um find bills from not our delegation yes and talk about them yes um and like debate them because by then we've debated our bills <laughs> kind of to death right. um and so it's nice to see some fresh ideas mm -hmm. um especially ones you'll be encountering at session mm -hmm. um or like it's fine if anybody has a bill that's like yours um mm -hmm. because at session if your bill is too similar to another one you might be asked to combine it and right. so having that thought in advance of session of like, oh, gosh, you know, this other delegate from across the state had the same idea as I do, but they've they've solved the issue in a different way. Mm -hmm. But it's not so dissimilar that both of them will actually make it out of committee and onto the floor. And so yeah. to give yourself a better chance of getting your bill out of committee and, and onto the floor of the chamber, combining with somebody else, you know, adds a whole set of voters. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And th those are those are great conversations to spark with the bill book. That's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move along. Um, today we are going to 
put a spotlight on building the build book. The past, I don't know, four or five years, I've actually been able to help build the build book, um, which is something that, you know, not a lot of people are involved in. And so it's this kind of mysterious, mm-hmm. el- like elusive thing that is like, oh, gosh, I don't know. We send in our bills and we magically get this book back and it's they're all just so organized. Um, so what exactly happens? Um, kind of from the time delegates bills are submitted via our registration system that shall not be named. Um, and when you get your bill book, I guess. First steps. Uh, the thing that I don't think anyone is aware of is we have to wait until everybody's bill is in before we start sorting them. We have a set number of committees and the goal is for them all to have a similar number of bills in them. Mm -hmm. And since we sort them by topic, we have to know how many total bills there are. So we know what the goal is per committee, um, because some of these bills will fall on kind of ambiguous lines and we need to know like which way they need to tip. So we have to wait till everyone has turned in their bill. We have to read everything. We read every single bill, looking for possible committee topics, but also looking for anything egregious or offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we don't censor the bills, for sure. But if someone were to put something that was like blatantly inappropriate, um, we would have to deal with that in advance of printing it and publishing it. Yeah, clearly, um, clearly it's possible for a bill to have like a personal attack or... Or some kind of sort of racist or sexist invective that would be so extreme that just from a YMCA standpoint, it's not its not something we're going to distribute. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, you'll definitely find bills that are the topics feel like a little offensive sometimes sure. because I mean, sometimes the issues that people are dealing with are like they're hard to tackle. Yeah. Um, and so there's a difference between something that's going to be upsetting and something that is, you know, an attack or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, We also look, especially when there's a presidential transition, to make sure that the correct president is um, referred to on memorials. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the committee is determined by topic, um, but we don't have the same committees year to year. um, Because of this even distribution of bills, we end up having to read them all and see how they gather together. We almost always have an education committee we actually usually have two, education yes. policy and education curriculum. I was going to say, that, that's a, um, those, those tend to re- recur. Those, those tend to be standalones. But um, sometimes we do like alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do controlled substances. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just depends on like how many people are writing about gun safety versus how many people are writing about like legalizing marijuana or something like that. Right. I think it is really opaque to most people. I find that students often say, well, wait a minute, where's the Committee on Democracy this year or something, right? They're they're using the name of a committee from uh, a previous year or two years, not realizing that the committees don't simply repeat year in and year right. out. And so you have um, kindly involved me at times as a sort of pinch hitter to come in and say, how do we do this? We don't... We have all these weird bills, we, and we don't know how to categorize yeah, f- them. Five stacks of bills, and only three committees left to fit them into. Yes. How do we do this? <laughs> Democracy is the catch-all. We have used that a couple of times as a sort of safety valve. One thing that I want to just sort of point out, because some people out there might be listening and saying, well, why does it matter? You could just like stack 15 bills in each committee. Um, part of it has to do with what Anna was mentioning earlier, that the legislature doesn't want to debate two slightly different solutions to the exact same problem. 
And so the idea is that there should be a single committee where, let's say, all the education bills come together, where if there are two very similar bills, the committee can debate them and ultimately end up deciding which one is the right solution. Or there are times when the bills get combined in a sort of omnibus legislation that takes the best ideas um, from the two bills and combines them into one. That's something that the students who've written the bills um, work on together. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. It also helps ensure that the debate we hear on the chamber floors is really varied. Um, If they were scattered randomly, it might be, let's say, that every committee prioritized its top couple of education bills. Well, then we'd hear nothing Mm -hmm. but education debate all through. Uh, So instead, what we're hoping to do is to ensure that some of the best ideas in all the different sort of areas the government might act make their way to the chamber floor. But well, and also mm-hmm. for topic-based committees, the, the students in those committees, uh, they're not experts per se, but they tend to have done research on topic. And so when yes. the bill to- when the bills come up, they have some sense of like background for that type of thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there's all sorts of great reasons why to do this thing that, as Anna is describing, is incredibly hard to do. And it just happens behind the scenes magically, right? Every year students just get a bill book and know, oh, I guess my bill ended up in this committee. And so, especially if you're a student or advisor out there who's ever had a situation, and that may well happen this year, where you look at it and say, well, why did my bill end up here? Just know that the people involved are working as hard as they can to try and smooth things over. In the end, there's often a bill or two that just are so unique, they don't really it anywhere right and and well particularly (laughs) our um our program resolutions yes they they defy categorization because they are about our program um so they end up in weird places this year with only five committees it was in a way easier Mm -hmm. and in a way more challenging Mm -hmm. um but like we knew that the committees were going to be kind of a mishmash of topics um which made it a little bit easier to kind of corral them good um, but in a typical year, yeah, we're dealing with 250 bills. We print them all out half size and spread them out on a big table, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like stack them together with post-it notes on them. Um, and there, and there have been some funny combinations over the years. Like I'm, I'm sure more than one year we had a committee on like children and animals or something that's sort of, I, I, yeah, I definitely <laughs> contemplated ch- ch- like, um, I was trying to call it like, uh, um, Something about like people who were uh, unable to advocate for themselves, right. kind of a committee. <laughs> it does. It does always end up implying that we think of children and dogs as being sort of analogous and, and cattle. Not, it's not yeah. really. It's not intended. It's just hard to figure out. Well, what are we going to do with all these sort of welfare of, like you say, pe- yeah, entities, yeah. social, that social welfare. Them. Yeah, social welfare. That's there's that's a good name. Social welfare and animals is a weird combination for sure. It is. Once we know what the committee assignments are going to be, we then, we have to go into our registration system and individually assign a number and a committee to each document. So we have to open each document, give it its number and its committee assignment and include it um, in the book. Um, And so we have to do that with every single bill individually. And then once we've done that, then we can ask the system for the book and it gives us a very large PDF of all of the bills in number order, um, which the way we number them um, gives them to us in also in kind of committee order. Because mm-hmm. um, we number the bills, we give it a chamber 
assignment followed by a committee number assignment followed by a bill number inside of that committee mm-hmm. um which does it's not important for like the average delegate to know except that like for for those working like as a committee leader or up on the rostrum of a chamber um or even if you're like a lobbyist and you're just like oh gosh i wonder what committee this bill is in if you know that it's house bill 0401 you know it's in committee four because mm-hmm. it's 04 um and so we have to do that. And didn't that, you come up ahead. with that numbering system? Um, I came up with part of it. Because our old system did not work that way. We used to number them just by chamber. Yeah. So like Senate Bill 37, House Bill 14. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they used to build the bill book, but um, they would sort them. They would number them sequentially but the and the committees would be in order and so like mm-hmm. the range of bills like senate bills one through five would be in the education committee and then senate bills through six through 12 would be in some other committee mm-hmm. um but it's hard in in our system to number them sequentially just the way it's 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 kind of a challenging process to keep track of that way mm-hmm. and so we devised this system of adding the committee number into the bill number um, because then it would automatically put them in order. Um, our temp for the 70th session, she was the one who made the the final number be the number of their from their committee. Like if there were 20 bills in a committee, one through 20. Yeah. And that way, if we had to change the chamber on a bill or if we made an error, mm. we wouldn't have to change the whole bill's number. Yeah. And so really, the chamber letter is the chamber, and then following it is just the bill number, committee 0401, 0402, 0403, mm-hmm. um, all the way down, um, which turns out is really easy to keep track of um, and lets you see how many bills are in a committee. And if you need to add one, if somebody submits a bill late and we're able to include it, it's easy to just tack it on to the end and it doesn't screw anything up. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, um, it's been useful. Great. Although it's a little bit annoying because it's a really long number. Yeah. Um, yeah. So once we have them all numbered, then we, we get the book from the system and um, it only gives it to us in PDF. And so any corrections we have to make at that point have to be done using uh, licensed software, which we only have one license for. And so if someone has changed chambers and we weren't able to make the change in the registration software, um, we have to retype it on to their bill um if someone's left a bunch of extra hard returns Mm. in their bill i don't know if you've ever seen bills like that where there's lots of blank space it's easier for us to just edit it after the fact Mm. and then of course any like if there's any words that need to be changed because of like inappropriate language or anything like that Mm. um we do that Um, all of this that we've talked about has to happen prior to leadership training with enough lead time like you mentioned before, that you get your bill books at leadership training right. in a typical year. Um, we have to get all of the bill books, you know, which can be in an, in a typical year, like 400 bill books printed and assembled before people leave training so that we can send them home with their bill books. That's hard to do. It is hard to do. We also include the rules of order, which shouldn't change, but sometimes tracking down and verifying we have the most up-to-date <laughs> version of the rules of order can be yeah. tricky. Yep. We just hold section one of the bill book mm-hmm. um, in draft version, and we don't print it for everybody until um, you get that when you show up at session. Um, it has the rosters and the schedule. Right. Um, because a lot of times at leadership training, 
um, people will switch positions. Like if we need to fill a leadership position or we'll discover some errors um, in assignments or typographical errors. Um, and then the schedule is always kind of iffy, especially if we're running close to session, a real legislative session, um, logistics, room access, governor schedule, things like that might change how our session schedule goes. So we hold all that. We prepare it before leadership training, um, but we don't print it for the bill book until the last minute. Well, and, and we'll get to this in just a couple of minutes, I think, but uh, the way we're binding the bill book now makes this feasible. Um, yes, yeah. Whereas in the old days, um, you couldn't do it. And everyone was just accustomed to the fact that you had a wrong roster in your bill book. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think there was some kind of addendum, but yeah, it's so much easier now. With the three ring binder, we are able to save portions, whole portions of the bill book. Um, the, we had an addendum in 2001 um, because of the earthquake All right. um, and our change of venue. Um, but other than that, the only thing we would sometimes get is a, a updated schedule. If it if it changed dramatically, they might print us a, a single sheet mm-hmm. um, schedule. Um, but we would just have to make corrections in our bill books. Um, right. And you know, sometimes they would leave out like uh, in trying to piece together like past um, student leaders. I've discovered that like one year we didn't have a lobbyist roster in the entire bill book mm-hmm. at all. So, you know, I imagine that they probably printed a lobbyist roster and gave it to people to, like, tuck in their bill books. And I just didn't save mine, is my guess. Um, but, yeah, so that, that, that was our spotlight on how the bill book gets made. That's great. And we'll move on to Anna's dorky fun, old bill books. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just, we'll address that bill book binding situation awesome. first awesome. before we dive deeply into it. Current version is a three-ring binder. Um, we've been doing that since 2008, which was right around when we started um, being involved in Kona. And that was how Kona did their bill books, I think, mm. um, with the two um, sheets to a page to save paper. Um, clever. 2007, our bill book was kind of gigantic. Yeah, it was a beast. Um, so for the years 2004 to 2007, we had coil-bound bill books. Um and they got very large. Um, I think we were kind of experiencing a little bit of a surge in participation. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were turning in more bills or maybe, I don't, I'm not really sure what it was. But our um, executive director decided that um, what we had been using prior to that, um, they would fall apart. They weren't, they weren't quite as easy to use. Mm-hmm. They were more attractive. Mm-hmm. So you, you're going to be, you're going to be the answer person here. So my bill books from... 1996 to 2003 were bound how (laughs) it's a paperback binding and it's a they call it a perfect binding and it's an ironic name because it's actually a really lousy binding Um, far from perfect yeah but a perfect binding is is uh, and people are accustomed to this with like a cheap paperback everything has just been shaved flat and then a, a cover has been glued to the back of it so each individual page if the glue starts to fail, can just sort of fall out of it. It's not like an old stitched binding. Um, yes. And so, yeah. I will say, yeah, mine are not falling apart and they have been well used. Yeah, it's not the world's worst thing. And they they are, I think, really much more attractive than what we have now. But what we have now is they so are. much more functional. The, the issue, I think, that our exec was trying to address at that point was that they wouldn't lie flat. Yeah, they don't. And so in order to use one, like while you were 
on the floor of the Senate, for instance, you couldn't have your bill book lie flat on the table and reference it while holding a microphone and speaking. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it, it, it would just flop back closed. Um, but anyway, so um, older versions I have access to in my house, at least back to 1974, were bound in this perfect, perfectly imperfect way. Yes. Um, 1960 to 1968 were really cute plastic comb binding. Um, that uh, the plastic combs, I used to work at an office supply store in the coffee center, and I would put plastic comb binding on things, and they are fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm shocked that the ones I have are still held together and not falling apart. They made them different back in the 60s. They were. I don't, yeah, it's probably some sort of toxic plastic that I don't actually <laughs> want to touch. Um, <laughs> 1959 and earlier were just triple stapled and these were thinner Um, affairs than what we currently distribute they were they were they were starting to get um a little thicker which i think probably was why they switched to plastic comb binding is that the staples probably weren't Mm -hmm. long they were running out of lengthy enough staples Mm. um so i've pulled a stack of bill books um for us to just kind of talk a little bit about i realize with an uh, an audio podcast this is less exciting for people (laughs) Um, people can email us if they'd like to see pictures of old buildings. There we go. Yag and recreation at gmail.com. <laughs> I grabbed one from every decade to just kind of talk a little bit about. And then I think for our listening audience, our goal with these is just to be able to call attention to a couple of features of each billbook yes. from that decade. Yes. That's kind of an interesting picture of what a billbook and therefore what session sort of looked like then. Yes. Yeah. And I've grabbed in with some intentionality. Excellent. Um, I grabbed the 1949 bill book. Awesome. It is not the first. No. It, I do have the first. Both of these books are, they're literally called Book of Bills. Mm-hmm. And that's what they are. It's a book full of bills. There's no roster. There's no schedule. All of these bills were submitted by delegations, not by individuals. Right. So you won't see the names of any delegates inside the no. bill book. Yeah, that's no. interesting. So like I'm looking at one that was introduced by the Ellensburg High Y. And I don't know what the distinct difference between a high Y and a tri-high Y was, mm. but I think it was important. I don't really know. I think you're right. Um, but yeah, this one is actually, it's not even triple stapled. It's got five staples. Mm-hmm. It's been its been real stapled. Um, but I grabbed it because it has this really fun letter in the front that wasn't in the first book of bills. Mm. But it says, you are a very important person, underlined. You are one or two out of all the students of your school who are able to take part in this laboratory of democracy. If all the time and money necessary to bring you these 82 bills to Olympia were added together, you are costing Washington people about $100 per day. You are a very expensive person. It goes on. There's a whole page. (laughs) Um, And it ends with, now, have fun, meet people, work hard, pass the bills that will help the people of the state of Washington, and live up to the idea of being an important person. Would... Would you like uh, context for high Y and try high Y since we're here? Sure, yeah. Um, these were clubs founded for young people. Since originally the YMCA, right, wasn't, you know, wasn't a team-focused organization per se. Um, the high Y clubs were founded to serve high school boys because, of course, the YMCA, once upon a time, was a more male-focused organization. Mm. And tri-high-Y clubs were later founded to um, serve high school girls. Um, So if you were from a tri-high-Y, you were a girl, and if you were from a high-Y, you were a boy? Well, 
I think by the era we're talking about, the 40s and 50s, I don't know for sure, but my understanding okay. is it, it got to be a little bit more like your club's name would have been based on how it was originally founded, but a lot of them would have been co-ed. Um, but, oh, okay. but I don't know for sure. It would be interesting to find out a little more if we can about whether like these tri high y delegations, let's say in the 49 bill book, are delegations that would have been all young women. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Well, um, moving along to the 50s, um, I think this might be my favorite bill book cover oh, of them all. It's my um, very it, favorite. <laughs> it's, cla- it's classy. Um, it is navy blue. This one has four staples. Navy blue. Um, it has some orange and white stars all over it and a large prominent rocket ship speeding away from Earth. And it says, leadership for the world of tomorrow that they all may be one so good interesting moments from this bill book are that um they printed all of the students mailing addresses on the rosters wild personal information security was just not a thing Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's the cover is just just so delightful that's, I just want to look at it all day long, but I, I'll stop. Um, I have 1962, mm. which that was the World's Fair, right? Yes. So there's a, the Space Needle oh, is on fun. the cover. And it says Space Age Citizens. Um, and we're not going to talk too much about this bill book because I think this bill book is an entire episode. Mm. Because the one I own is our former executive director, Linda Medcalf's bill book from when she was a reporter from Hoquiam. That's and it is full of her handwritten notes oh. as a reporter and page notes that were sent to and from her. Um, I will say this bill book looks a lot more like bill books that we experience. It's got rosters. It's got maps. It's got a schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it has her notes on what she thought of lunch. Um, That's great. Anyway. That's great. We'll talk about it. So I'll bring it to you sometime. That would be great. Um, I grabbed 1974, which... Um, it's the first one I have that has the picture of the governor and the youth governor on the cover, Great. which is what we knew as young delegates. Mm-hmm. This one has a really cool thing in it um, that tells you about the technical advisors. And it's it sounds to me from reading it that they brought in adults with experience in certain areas and backgrounds to be a resource for people during committee sessions says the entire background experience and knowledge of technical advisors is an open book if you but ask the question to open that book they have not been assigned to run the committee or to advocate particular legislation so it sounds to me like they're there as a resource Mm. to people which i think is fascinating we don't do that anymore Um, since you mentioned this is the first one you have with the youth governor's photo on it that of course 1974 is the first year in which to our knowledge we have a female governor. We don't know for a fact that she was first, I guess, because we don't know who the governor was in 1949. But I think we have uh, no. we have no reason to suspect that this is an error. Yes, I think she... I, I feel very confident yeah. that she was. Because we, when we were delegates, knew there had only been yes. like four or something like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, so yes, her picture is on here. Wonderful. Um, and this one has the rules of order are printed in the back. Um... It also has section three is called how to function as a delegate. (laughs) Um, 1984, pretty epic. This is like the orangest of orange bill book covers there ever could be. It is so orange. 
Um, and yet it still has photos of the governor and youth governor on it. So they look quite orange. Mm-hmm. 1984 is another special one to me, just because um, the youth speaker of the house that year has been an advisor for the past few years. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten to know him Indeed. and his children. Yeah. They are third generation youth legislature delegates. Oh, okay. um, but this one, it has the schedule in it. And so, you know, I've been looking through these old bill books and the schedules are so fun to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we don't realize how much things have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one in 1984, the Friday schedule, um, the governor's banquets from 6.30 to 8 on the Friday night, and then dancing from 8.15 to 11 on the second floor library, it says. Oh. I think this was at the this was at Evergreen State College. Interesting. But then from 11.15 to midnight, it's a celebration of friendship. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it was in the lower level of the library building, well, whatever wait, it was. we have access to someone who will know what that means. It was his senior year. I know. So, so <laughs> perhaps, perhaps we'll need to do some interviewing. Maybe we'll talk about 1984 Youth Ledge. Um, but yeah, all delegates to host homes, 1 a.m. Wow. And then the following morning, the Senate and House convene at 9 a.m. Oh, oh so those poor advisors. So, and I, I don't even know. We'll ha- we would we need to ask them because did they drive themselves to their host oh, homes? Goodness. Did they come in their own cars? Goodness. Were we sending teenagers out at one in the morning to drive to an unfamiliar location, mm-hmm. only to get up, pack, and return to the Capitol in less than eight hours? It's fascinating. I know that in 84, this is right before mock trial becomes its own program. And so mm. 84 is probably one of the last bill books that has a, a more robust kind of judicial side it, because that was being built does. into youth and government at the time. The whole back um, is for the judicial program. And it had a, a case. The 1984 case problem mm. was, um, I think appellate court oh, okay i mean it's just in part it's interesting to me because i've heard a delegate this year offering a bill um that sort of returns to that era you know the the proposal is to reunite mock trial and and youth legend so it's it's fun to realize that even though that's you know from my perspective anyway really hard to imagine um there was mm. a time when it was normal right in 84 it were was you normal. not around for for when we did the appellate court I was in Chi- I was in Chicago for that, I think, two-year uh, experiment, yeah. You missed it. Yeah. yeah, we have done it recently as well. It's um, Doing appellate cases is not the same as what our current mock trial students oh, okay. um, go through. They do a criminal case oh, yeah, or yeah. a civil case, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know that much about it. Yeah. But yes, that back in 84, we still we had judicial tied in. Interesting. Um, we can enter the 90s. I brought I pulled out my first ever bill book from my freshman year. The cover looks like a 14-year-old girl drew all over it. <laughs> because a 14-year-old girl did draw all over sure it. <laughs> um, I definitely defaced the face of the then state governor, the real one, oh. not the student. The student governor's face remains unblemished. Yes, but I yeah, um, I remember I remember your artwork on that cover actually. Yeah. Yeah, um also some other people wrote on my bill book. So there are things on it that I disagree with. Oh. It was a well-loved and well-used well bill book. Mm-hmm. It's one of these perfect binding ones with the words on the spine, which I really like. Mm-hmm. And I can easily find it on my shelf. Um, and then I grabbed 2007 partially because it's, it's one of the spiral-bound ones. Oh. It's giant. It's got to be two inches thick. Mm-hmm. I think, let's see, there were 131 house bills that year. And 
57 Senate bills. And then there were also Sherberg Senate and, and O'Brien, O'Brien yeah. House bills. And, um, so it's just huge. And 07, that's 60-20, right? That's the 60 years of youth ledge, 20 that's the 60, trial. Yeah, 60 years of youth ledge. Yeah, 60-20 so celebration. So I'm guessing there might even be an extra, you know, happy letter or two tucked into the beginning of it or something as part of the celebration. I don't know. This book is more than 400 pages. That's heavy. That's, that's a lot. Um, yeah, I don't think that there's anything particularly extra um, because of that special year. Oh, okay. It's just, it was just a well, well attended year full of people who actually wrote bills and maybe they wrote two page bills a lot. So it was just real big. Hmm. Yeah. So the cool thing I think to wrap up this discussion of bill books is that even though they aren't in this perfect binding, mm-hmm. that's so cool looking and like I, it feels like something important. It feels like a yearbook. Mm-hmm. Um, the throwing binder switching to that has given me the ability to keep um, issues of the student newspaper in with the bill book. Oh, that's true. Um, and and other like notes from the year. So like the year that we had the the anarchists and we locked down the building. I had that. I had my sheet of notes of. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have an emergency call tree next year. Yeah. Um. In in the bill book, and so it becomes even more of a time capsule. Yes, I agree. Um. And so it gives me a great snapshot of the year. Mm-hmm. Um. In a in a way that is different from all the information I have from the 90s and early 2000s where I do have those Capital Chronicles, but they're in a separate spot. And I do have notes from that year, but they're in a separate spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the ability to kind of keep everything together. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I I was a skeptic. Yeah. Uh, this is the thing I was wrong about for this episode, by the way. I didn't think it was a good idea to go to a three-ring binder. I thought it looked cheap and um, kind of chintzy. Uh, but honestly, A, it's so useful that um, that overwhelms a lot of my objection. And B, I think we have started to find ways to make the binder like look cooler. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, some of the attention to detail on like the cover and all that I think looks better than some of the stuff we had done with like those coil bindings. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it now. Well, um, thanks for having some dorky fun with me. We'll move along to announcements. Um, and what's coming up, uh, not real sure, uh, events of the world lead me to think that talking about voter suppression would be a a topic. Yes. Um, an unfortunate topic to have be timely. Um, but also I think on the lighter side of things, uh, we've talked about, uh, the possibility of doing a Kona episode. Um, but we don't, we've, neither of us have ever been to Kona. And so in order to do that, we'd need some help. And so uh, if there's listeners out there who have been to Kona and want to talk about it, um, we'd love to hear some stories or maybe interview some people um, and do a Kona episode uh, sometime in the future. Um, And so if if that sounds like something you're interested in, uh, you're always welcome to email us, yagandrecreation at gmail.com. Well... I will entertain a motion to adjourn this podcast. I so move. Is there a second? Second. Awesome. Um, We will vote on the motion to adjourn. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Those opposed? Motion passes. Have a good week. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Yag and Recreation, an Up Till 2 Productions podcast. Yag and Recreation is co-written and co-hosted by my sister, Anna Hazen, and by me, James Rosenzweig, and edited solely by the multi-talented Anna Hazen. Thanks also go to Tainum Fotheringo, our program and coolness consultant, to Jeff Hazen for composing and recording our introductory music and providing on-call technical support, and to Ben and Sam Hazen for additional incidental music and fully artist work. We'll see you next week. And that's all for today.